Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Also, my name's Kate Jinx. I'm Brody Lancaster, and we're back with another Toy Poodle episode focusing on one beloved film, an absolute gem, celebrating its 40th anniversary in 2022. It is the film, ladies and gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains. Oh, this film, it's everything. It's everything. Every rewatch gives me something else to be obsessed with. I can't believe it's taken us this long to even mention this film. Like, it seems pretty wild to me. I know. And I I do have to give a genuine shout out to uh, Sarah Smith, fan of the pod, friend of my life, uh, who sent us a DM via our See Also Instagram saying, would you ever consider doing a toy poodle on The Fabulous Stains? And I sent it to Jinxie a week ago, and here we are. Yeah, and boy, would we ever. Yes, please. And if you do have any recommendations or requests for Toy Poodle episodes, do get in touch with us. Uh, we're at See Also Podcast on mm-hmm. Instagram. That's the best way to reach us. Absolutely. You know, you can't, you, they're not always going to be hits like this one where we're both deeply <laughs> obsessed with the film being <laughs> suggested, but um, sometimes they might be. Sometimes they might be. Um, And boy, are we both obsessed with this film. I actually don't think that we've ever spent much time talking about this film to each other, but it's just like, it's a given. I'm like, I know BL loves this and I'm sure she knows that I am deeply obsessed with this. It's like a type of person, you know, a stains person. Yeah, it's like a litmus test. Like, I am a skunk, as the fans call themselves in the film. I'm a total skunk. And here we are podcasting on a weekend professionals. <laughs> I know. Such skunk girl bosses. Okay, there's so much to talk about this film and our love of it and the it's kind of cult 
icon status at this point, the cast, everything. But if you haven't seen it, I implore you to see it. You can rent it very easily online these days. Uh, it's it used to it used to be this film that you could not get a hold of or couldn't get a good copy of it. But now you can get it on like Amazon Prime and rent it on YouTube, etc., which is remarkable. Yeah, it used to be like bootlegged, passed around between between people in the know. Exactly. Uh, so employee to watch it but if you're a fan already I uh we should we should just get the synopsis kind of out of the way I think the like short form is that three teen girls start a punk band they go on tour and they rise to like the dubious top of the music scene that's like log line I suppose that's your elevator pitch but the longer version slightly longer version is there are these two girls, teenage girls, Corin Third Degree Burns, Diane Lane, and her sister Tracy, played by Marin Cantor. They're these orphaned teens. Their mother has died of lung cancer fairly recently, and they're struggling to pay the lease, pay the bills. But they and they live in this kind of low socioeconomic area in the States and they know that there's something else out there. They're kind of like built for bigger things than the life I suppose that they've been given, particularly Corin, the Diane Lane character. And so when these bands roll into town on tour, the looters from the UK, like this punk UK punk band, and this terrible, terrible band, the Metal Corpses, great fucking name, the Metal Corpses, when they turn up to their, like, kind of shithole town to play the two sisters together with their cousin, who is played by uh, their cousin Jessica, who is played by a super, super young Laura Dern. So good. So good. They go to this concert together. Their minds are kind of blown. They can see that these guys are just on stage doing it, whatever the fuck they want. And they want to do that too. And so they form this band, the Fabulous Stains. By some miracle, they managed to join the tour immediately, which is like wild and like, a, you know, a bit of a plot point. But they go on tour, they rejig their look. They like create this kind of profile for themselves, very much led by uh, Diane Lane's character, Corin, Bur- Corin Third Degree Burns. And uh, their future just kind of opens up as this band. They start getting TV interviews and reaching a wider audience and almost like overnight they reach this legion of teen girls who haven't had anyone to idolise or haven't been able to see themselves or see their kind of own punk ethos represented anywhere and they become this like big kind of overnight success much to the chagrin of the guys they're on tour with and it becomes this sort of wrestle for fame and authenticity and they kind of get swallowed up in some ways by the big bad music industry you mentioned the tv interviews which plays such a big role in this film it's kind of like our exposition machine you know like the the little low stakes promoter who who hears about them and gets them on tour has never heard the stains perform before he's just seen them on the news because Corinne kind of she's almost like a proto bad baby like who was on Dr. Phil as the catch me outside girl and then became a musician because she kind of went viral this is like a 1980s 
local news version of going viral because Corinne is like smoking and being like this disaffected teen with no kind of idea about her future or her prospects and the newscasters kind of can't don't really know what to do with her but the people watching are really obsessed with her and you absolutely see why she's like this little they never describe themselves as punks but they're she's this she's this absolute little like anarchist in in the form of like a 15 year old diane lane yeah it's um it's really something to see that she's just so fully charismatic in these very early interviews. So the film opens with this interview that she's doing on, yeah, like a low stakes TV channel because she's just been fired from her job. And it's essentially about like, yeah, like you said, these disaffected youths, but you see her completely like apathetic to this interviewer, just like not caught up in the bullshit of it. And you see her transforming from this normal teen girl into third degree burns in the space of like the first couple of minutes of the film as she's like applying her winged, crazy red euphoria dreams eyeliner, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like this real kind of Susie Sue kind of look. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So you're like watching her origin story play out. And then, yeah, like you said, there's, she goes, they go to the punk show and they, she has this moment of just like, that could be me. I could do that. And it's just written on her face. She's not saying anything, but she wanders backstage with the band afterwards. And she just kind of is like, I'm, I'm, I have just as much right to be here as anyone else. It's like the vibe she gives off. Um, and as the film goes on, the news keeps covering the stains and soon they're covering the hype around them. And the fact that other young women are emulating them, like you said before, Jinxie, like there's this idea that all the young girls in the audience have never had anyone to model themselves after. And so they see this person as just like such an individual doing her own thing, saying what they all think. And soon there's that deep irony in like punk fame where saying something different or telling people to be themselves means that those people try to be more like her. Um, and so by the end of the film, there's kind of this army of people who look and act and dress like her, you know, girls with red eye makeup wearing their underwear and tights um, out of the house, running away from home. Um, it's like you see her legacy as she's already kind of like done like her career is almost over and all these other girls are like carrying it on uh, yeah absolutely it's uh she kind of speaks her mind and it gives all these other girls sort of something to hold on to there is so much to talk about i don't even really know where to start with this goddamn i know i film. feel like we've, we've both covered all the plot points but we're still only skimming the surface Okay, I want to ask you, like, do you remember, like, wh how you first saw this film or, like, when you first saw it? I feel like I first saw it in the last 10 years, I would say. It was definitely always something that I heard about. But, you know, in the noughties, there was not as much of a way to, like, track down films like this on the internet as there are now. I can't, my, my interaction with Riot Girl was very much in like the renaissance and resurgence of it in the noughties. And so that was where I would hear about Fabulous Stains because it is, it's like this urban legend almost among like 
key figures in the Riot Girl movement, you know, like Alison Wolfe from Bratmobile um, has credited it as this film that I think when, when she first saw it, she was like, oh, it's almost like they modeled themselves off what we were doing as Riot Girls, but obviously they were doing it so, you know, a decade earlier, we just didn't know about this film. Like it kind of, there's this, there's this, um, this famous story, I think as well of like the members of Bikini Kill in between tours, like staying up at night because they'd heard that the film that they'd, you know, loved so much, everyone talked about was actually going to be airing on TV. So like, you know, Toby Vale and Kathleen Hanna, or like staying up at night waiting to watch this film on TV. So I think that's where it where it reached me in Australia. What about you? I yeah, I don't know exactly how I first saw I feel like I've always known about this film through osmosis or something. I guess I saw it in when I would have been about 20 or something. Like I didn't get to see it when I was a teenager. Um, because I just didn't know about it. I remember reading about it in like punk and riot girl fanzines. And I definitely remember like Kathy Wilcox and Toby Vale in particular talking about the film in a lot of Bikini Kill interviews back when they were doing interviews in the early 90s. They famously stopped doing any media. I was like deeply invested in riot girl culture in the 90s um, from afar, very much from afar in like suburban Australia. But yeah, I was deeply invested in that world. And so I think I just had heard about it through fanzines, etc., and then managed to get like one of the worst copies ever. I remember I had like a VHS copy of it, and then I had like a like a, like the worst. I don't even know what kind of a file it was, but I watched it. So I think I had a VHS copy. I just can't even remember. I just like it's always been in my DNA. This film or mm. something. But I remember when I first watched it, I had that thing like the, you know, like Alison Wolf saying this was us, like they modeled us off us. When I saw it, I couldn't really believe that it was from like, 19, it got released in 1982, you know, it just felt so like the last 10 years of my life or something. Um, mm, even now it feels so current. Yeah, it totally does. Uh, what and, the girls are doing at least. Yeah, and, and not enough people have still seen it and like this film essentially got buried by Paramount Pictures and it was it released very briefly I think somewhere like Film Forum or something it uh it was released very briefly it had terrible audience test screenings and was completely buried and to the point where the director Lou Adler had no copy of it himself he had like a really bad VHS copy that he was given that someone taped off TV. So it got sold to television and then played on like late night shows. And that's sort of how it built up this cult following. And then it was eventually uh, released at the Chicago underground film festival in the late nineties. And then it got a DVD release. And I remember I, Oh, that's what I wanted to do with this podcast today is if I lent you my early stains dvd can you please return it i cannot find it anywhere and it's really hard to get these days <laughs> this is the classified section i know i needed that audio comment because i had these two great audio commentaries mm. one was by lou adler which wasn't that great but the other one was uh had diane lane and laura dern doing it so just mm. hit me up no questions asked 
So the film kind of like came from the minds of two women, Caroline Kuhn, the British rock journalist, and Nancy Dowd, a screenwriter who ended up, um, her name originally was on this film under a pseudonym because she, I, I believe, left the production after being groped by like a member of the crew and which is deeply ironic considering the film that they were there making um all about women like speaking up about things like that yeah she Um, also hated the ending um mm. she didn't write that ending and it was changed and it was actually filmed two years later the ending of the film and you can you can see it you totally can see it like Laura Dan was 12 when she started making this film and she is yeah. not 12 years old in that final scene. Yeah, they look like Diane Lane goes from looking like a teenager to like a kind of Murphy Brown type <laughs> in the final sequence, which is like this really slick like music video um, where we're supposed to believe that they're like at the top of the charts. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's just like everyone just had a massive growth spurt. Yeah. So Caroline Kuhn, I guess, linked up with Nancy Dowd um, and told her that like feminism was kind of the next phase of punk rock. Um, And so they channeled that into a screenplay that they they collaborated on together. Caroline Kuhn still, I guess, must must speak about this film a lot, must be asked about it a lot. She has a website, a, a page on her website called Stains Page. Yeah, that's one of my C also's BL. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love Stains Page. Um, but yeah, and on Stains Page, you see a lot of what went into like the, the signature um, skunk or stains look, the hair, the eye makeup, the outfits, Jinxie, what do you love about Stains Page? Oh my God, I love Stains Page. <laughs> How funny. Um, I mean, the looks are incredibly iconic. Um, I They still look fresh to me. Uh, I'm blown away every time I see this film and see the fact that this young girl was able to kind of build this profile of herself and it makes sense in the film. Like it doesn't feel out of character. It doesn't feel like this is what some British rock journalist dreamed up, you know, it really feels like it could have come from the mind of this like 14, 15 year old girl. Um, the hair is incredible. That skunk look like the two white stripes, uh, in her hair and the see-through It's kind of what the girls are doing now. Oh, very much. Those big strips down the front. Very much. And the see-through like red blouse, uh, and, like wearing the, as you said, like the black tights over like knickers is just, I mean, what a fucking look. What a good look. It's such a I good I do look. really love the idea of Kathleen Hanna in the 90s watching this film and being like, they're copying us, but it was <laughs> <laughs> literally a decade earlier. Yeah, like they're very much proto-Riot girls in this film mm-hmm. and that look is extremely like Kathleen Hanna, you know, uh, riding whore on her, you know, mm-hmm. belly, etc., and going out in knickers and crop tops and body like swimsuits, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and the feel. I mean, we have to kind of get into like the whole, uh, like the 
what the fabulous Steins were like espousing from from stage. We'll get there. We'll get there. But yeah, the look on Steins' page is quite is quite amazing. Uh, I love that Caroline Kuhn still has this website that you can visit. It's so good. Mm. Um, but you also, get the sense with it that this film means as much to her as it does to the people who eventually found it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it is one of those films that. Um, you know, like when you see a film and you really love and it really speaks to you, maybe you've got this, not you, but one has this feel, like instinctive feeling, instinctual feeling to keep it for yourself or something like, you're like, oh, this is my thing. It's my special thing. It's precious. Yeah. yeah. Whereas Fabulous Stains has always been very much something like pass it on. Like you need to watch this. I need to share it with as many people as possible and so I kind of mm. love that it has this lore and the, someone like Caroline Kuhn is still like yeah I I worked on this I love it you know that's great mm-hmm. but that the fact that Nancy Dowd took her name off it is so fucking sad uh, and the fact that she was groped by a camera person who was like making a joke about like turning some knob on like whatever equipment he was using, but then reached out and like groped her boob. Like that's so foul. And yeah, that she had, she had used this pseudonym, but she'd already won an Oscar. Like she'd won a fucking Oscar at this point. Um, She won it for coming home. The like incredible film. Uh, She also wrote Slapshot, the hockey film. I haven't seen that in a very long time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but uh, originally it was called All Washed Up and aside from just working with Caroline Kuhn, the story is that she went to see the Ramones play and was so inspired by that concert and but was like, this should be girls doing this. Because, you know, the Ramones famously, their songs weren't intensely complex, shall we say. I don't want the Ramones heads coming after me but famously simple yeah gabby gabba hey but so this like story of these girls and it is a very riot girl story of they can't play their instruments but they're inspired to do something and they want to take space and they want to make noise yeah they want to make noise they have stuff to say um and boy do they say it boy do they say it so their catchphrase jinxie is where the stains we don't put out so good. Which they yell at every show. <laughs> so good. And they're dressed in this, like, you know, punk baby doll aesthetic. Eat your heart out, Courtney Love, you know. Like, it's it's quite provocative. Like, you can see through their clothes, etc. There's, like, mm. not a lot to uh, – not a lot leaves the – there's not a lot left to the imagination. But the whole thing of – and they get caught up on this all the time of people asking them what – we don't put out means and essentially it just means like we don't get had which i love love yeah their first song that we hear is uh i think it's called waste of time this is called waste of time you ask me questions and i say nothing they can't play. Girls can't be rock and rollers. It's facts, hello. I'm a waste of time. I'm a waste of time. Look at your paycheck. You've worked so hard. 
Where's it all going? Two jerks like me who spend it on nothing. I'm a waste of time. I'm a waste of time. I'm a waste of time, don't call me. I'm a waste of time, don't ask me. I'm a waste of time, don't touch me. I'm a waste of... It's like better than you think because they you're under no misconceptions that the stains like musical geniuses or anything. Like you're watching them like figuring it out as they go, but they get up on stage and like figure it out together. Um, and their songs hit. They're really good. They they're good. I mean, they're like you know, it's they needed a little more to their repertoire to to sustain a tour, but that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. I can dig it. <laughs> Um, and so you mentioned Jinxie early on, the looters, who are like a very big part of where the story goes. The looters are a British punk band. Rock and roll is not for women, it's for blokes and fellas. It's a fact of life. Girls can't be rock and rolls. It's a fact of life. It's a fact of life. Led by Ray Winston. <laughs> no, it's like wild that it's Ray Winston. Five years old, a little baby faced leather jacket wearing like boots romper stomper i'm a fucking punk it's so it's so incredible the looters yeah they're very like sex pistols ish and like the other band members are literally from the clash yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah the the cat the was, would we call them cameos or like the the rest of the cast is like it's filled out by like legitimate like punk legends yeah it's like paul simonon and danny cook it's like <laughs> jesus it's really uh and apparently they just you know they just wanted the money they were like fine mm. i'll do this and so they're in opposition we meet the looters as they're in opposition to the what is it metal corpses the metal corpses which is just such a good band name like oh god and the metal corpses of course the looters hate them because they're like kind of these derivative like glam rock has-beens um and they're led by members like kiss wannabes totally it's face paint it's like they're very jaded they've seen it all before there's like there is some dialogue where they're looking at them going they're looking at the looters being like yeah we did the leather jacket thing years ago yeah (laughs) so there's this idea of like you know punk coming in cycles and coming and going you realize you can't make that much of a difference so you turn to something more commercial which leads to like ray winston heckling the band who's headlining every night on tour from the side of the stage which is which is truly great but when it starts happening to him when the stains when the girls are the ones doing the heckling or agitating you see the kind of um you know his his facade is just that yeah totally and you get to see how I mean, the it's a sad kind of it's a dark story, really. These teen girls, like, um, we're not even talking like sixteen, eighteen year olds. These are like really Underage young age girls, teenage girls going on tour with these like two really toxic, toxic bands. Uh, you know, like Laura Dern's character essentially walks in on an overdose that's just happened by a member of the metal corpses. Like there's, this is happening all the time. And like, you know, they're getting their asses pinched on the bus and like, it's, it's really dark. It is this very what's and all look at touring. It's not about like this glamorous on the road lifestyle. Like it's really, they're playing 
shitty venue after shitty venue. The girls are being talked down to. People are throwing shit at them when they're on stage. They just become these really strong teen girls. And we see, we witness that as viewers of this film kind of come into fruition and get really angry and are able to kind of speak their truth from stage. You know, like there's this incredible monologue from uh, Corin Third Degree Burns when she gets on stage and sort of reveals her look for the first time that I think we should probably play. You. Hello. You don't fool me for a minute. I know all about you. You came here tonight thinking you'd see some cute and wonderful rock star. And you hope maybe he'd take one look at you from up on that stage and he'd fall in love with you just like that. Then your savior could take you out of this dump of a town you live in. You could be different from all the other girls. Bitches on drugs. Suckers! 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 Be yourselves. These guys laugh at you. They've got such big plans for the world, but they don't include us. So what does that make you? Just another girl lining up to die. I'm perfect. But nobody in this shithole gets me because I don't put out. It's so powerful. It's really powerful and it's still really powerful to watch like, and to hear this coming from a teen girl and she speaks so much. She speaks in this kind of like, like she's a rock star already, like she's giving kind of lines in an interview, if you Mm -hmm. know what I mean. Like it's quite sassy and cool. But like the one thing that when I used to have like a live journal in like 2001 or something, I remember that I put um, as my profile, it comes from this line when she seizes this opportunity when she's actually interviewed about like someone from the metal corpses and at the beginning, she's like answering truthfully. And then she realizes, oh, actually, I can use this as a platform if I play along and then get my message out. It's very canny, very canny, mm. that, that character. And she describes him and says he was an old man in a young girl's world. And like I used that phrase <laughs> so much all over the Internet as like a a young 20, 20 something. Yeah. You really get the sense through, um, Corinne's interviews that she, she's playing the game and she is doing it to get her message out further, to get her, the band's profile bigger. Like she's really, like you said, like she's really fucking savvy. Um, there's this interview that Diane Lane, gave talking about the stains on NPR a few years ago and she's talking about that very first interview and watching the film you get the sense that Jessica and Tracy aren't don't have the full um gauge of what Corinne's about to do or what her plans for them are and so they're kind of as surprised as the audience is and um and Diane Lane yeah she gave this interview where she said you know the women in the audience are saying wow hell yes I want more of that the guys in the audience are grabbing their crotch and making jokes because they don't get it. They don't understand that the train has left the station. A lot of women are going to be on that train. It's so good. And I love that we see that character, like that um, TV interviewer, her rise as well, that she like sees something in this, in these girls 
and like distracts their story and keeps giving them airtime. And then like by one of the final interviews in the film with third degree burns, she has to be interviewed by like the male anchor of the TV show because it's revealed that the woman who has been giving them all this airtime and this platform has like moved to like Washington. Like she's a bigger deal now. I love that. It's like that she got promoted. One of my other favorite lines is uh, every citizen should be given an electric guitar on her 16th birthday. I loved that. So So good. good. So good. good. There's also this really beautiful scene. If we're just like shouting out the moments that we really love when, when Jessica, kind of steps forward Laura Dern's character and the stains are kind of they've been noticed by this big agent who's like obviously selling them the world setting their hopes really high kind of engaging in like some shady dealings and um, they're walking past like some television sets and they're seeing footage of themselves on stage and he's talking about how great they look oh you look even better on camera than you do on stage And then you realize that it's an interview with Jessica's mother, the girl's aunt. And there's just so much of this scene just plays on Laura Dern's face as she's watching her mom talk about like growing up with a a shitty dad who like told her she was a waste of space, told her that she didn't deserve anything, couldn't do anything. And you just see Laura Dern, like this incredible actress, so young, And it's all just playing on her sweet little face as she's realizing like her mother believes in her now that she went out and proved her wrong. Yeah, it's really beautiful. It makes me really teary, that Mm. scene, every time. And Christine Larty plays her mom and it's such a good role. But she's also really young in that. And you're like, my God. They're like, how old are you? And she's like, 35 yeah <laughs> doesn't she say like 30 or something and then uh laura dern's character goes like she's 34 yeah <laughs> like, that's right <laughs> that's so good my mom yeah, still tells really... people she's 28 and i'm <laughs> her youngest daughter and i'm 32 <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's um it, that scene is really beautiful on that note about the mom interview my notes just say interview with the mum. wow <laughs> she holds up a picture of her like dead sister, dead sister. Corinne's mom, and it's so beautiful. Oh god, it's too much. It's too much. Yeah, if we're talking about scenes that we really love, I just I love those scenes where you see all of the girls kind of coming out of their suburban homes and donning this kind of new look and just like being together in these big spaces. There's this scene where the Stains and the other bands are playing what looks like a mall and it's like the, it's the Westland Cultural Festival, whatever that is. And you just see these shots of these teen girls like riding up and down the escalators in like this garb and when the looters are playing, you see all these girls just like sticking their fingers up, like on mass. Oh, it's one of the best things I've ever seen on screen. But then, of course, it interrogates this idea that, and the Ray Winston's character starts aggressively telling <laughs> these skunks that they've just like bought into the lie and like they've bought, like, how much did that actually cost you? And like they've bought the merch and like they've, yeah, kind of been scammed or been had by mm. the fabulous stains and that's something that fabulous stains you know say that like never get had but then like there's a lot 
there's a lot actually going on in this film. It's like, mm. and it is a dark film. Like it is quite like a squalid film. There's a lot of really harsh shit that goes on oh, yeah. in this film. And I think that a lot of people would remember it or think of it as this like light, fun teen girl. It's not jo- Josie and the Pussycats. It is not, Mm-mm. you know, like it's thing quite- you do. It is not. <laughs> it is not. And it's all the better for it. Of course. Of course, Josie and the Pussycats has a place in my heart forevermore. But um, I really like the way that it does interrogate that rise to fame and having fans and that you're doing something unique and making this very political statement and then other people just take it up as their political statement and and very long bow here, BL, feel free to chop this out. But when I was in Bali a few years ago... (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) Settle in. Um, There were so many women everywhere that I saw, particularly in Ubud, reading Eat, Pray, Love, right? Yeah. This is like a long time after the book's out, a long time after the film's out. And it just seemed so sad to me. It was like, no, that was what she did. She she ate. She prayed. She loved. <laughs> like, you need to do that somewhere else. Like, yeah. you're not going to find It's not your... about retracing the footsteps. No, it's like you're not going to find some, like, hunky exporter of Balinese goods in Ubud, you know? Like, I mean, you might, but... I have to say that when I went to Bali a few years ago <laughs> at the airport leaving to come back to Australia, there was a section in a shop that said, like, books about Indonesia or books about Bali, and there were, like, four different travel guides and then many copies of Eat, Pray, Love. So it does seem like they're latching onto the same idea. Oh, I'm sure. And good on them. They're good like, we them. know it's why you're here. <laughs> for the prey. For the prey. No, is that for the prey? No, that's for the love. Well, she ate Isn't in it? Italy. Where did she pray? She I prayed th- in India. Oh, you're right. <laughs> Fuck, I sh- thought she did the prey in Bali. No, she did the loving in Bali. She did the loving in Bali. Now she's doing the loving somewhere else with someone else. Yeah, I think that is. I think that woman died. Yep. Realized okay. as I said it. Cut that out. Realized as I said it. I think she's got a podcast now. Anyway, anyway. Anyway, that's why we um, don't do this live. Yeah. <laughs> Circling back, as they say, to that uh, female co-anchor of the TV show who shot to stardom, love her. <laughs> when she's showing footage of those skunk girls en masse, um, you know, riding up and down the elevators, etc. She's so like inspired by them and she says you know life is to be lived right now not tomorrow and I really love that love her she really got them and she was she was working within like the the bounds of the small town media system to really promote these radical ideas yeah good on her there was something very familiar you talking about the cultural festival that they were playing at that really rang true for me is like I grew up in a very small town where maybe once or twice a year a band would come through and you would go and see anyone because you just wanted to see people playing music. You kind of didn't care what kind it was. And so when it was someone who really connected and really like made you feel seen or like gave you some kind of example, it was just like so rare and special. And this movie really captures that as well. These 
young girls in like small town America who just like have found someone to like admire coming to like their tiny corner of the world that doesn't get a look in otherwise. Yeah, even if it's not their vibe or it's not like the music that they love or want to make, etc. It's just uh, like it's like when you have your mind opened and yeah. it it's such a teenage thing as well. It's like I remember when I first saw like I first read a zine, like when I first saw one for sale, I mm. was my mind was completely and utterly blown you know or like the first time I heard Bikini Kill or any of those bands or realized that Kill Rockstars existed as a label and that they had lots of bands that sounded like that you know like yeah totally just that constant I think as like an adult it's hard to keep that mentality of like being or ability to be like truly excited by new ideas. <laughs> I guess it's kind of what those three bands on the bus represent. I, like, are you describing that? It's, you know, the stains are the teenagers experiencing and seeing and feeling things for the first time. They're hearing different kinds of music and so are their fans for the first time. So like you said, their minds are opening and so are the girls listening to them. And then one step beyond that are the looters who are cynical because they've seen more, they've had some kind of like, you know, they've had experiences that have like knocked them around or made them, you know, judgmental or dismissive or whatever. They've got that edge to them. And then one step beyond them are the metal corpses who are so jaded because they've, they feel like they've seen and done everything. They, they don't feel like there are any new ideas because they've probably seen three cycles of punks in leather jackets come through since they did it themselves, you know, and like, they're just going, you're just the latest, you know, incarnation of this idea that feels played out to us that they're, they're not even willing to accept that there could be a new idea. Yeah. I think that what you said before about the, it really shows the cycles of music as well in that they are so different from each other and that, like when you watch it, even now, it's like you look at the metal corpses and you're like, oh, you guys are just such washed up, like dudes trying to, I, I don't know. You see a lot of bands doing their reunion tours and you're like, are you just the metal corpses? I don't know. Oh, my God, totally. The metal corpses also made me think of um, the movie Detroit Rock City, which I really love, and those guys who are like, they're so cynical and they're so... Um, you know, judgmental of other genres of music, but the band that they're obsessed with is Kiss. Yeah, totally. I know that that's one of your favourite films and I keep meaning to re-watch that one. I mean, it's a film that I love. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's a fave, but, you know, it's an iconic Natasha Leone and Melanie Linsky vehicle to me. Which is the most important part of everything, yeah. of course, of course. <laughs> so the film features all these incredible actors and musicians, like in these crazy cameo roles. But one of my favourites is this very uh, slim scene where Ray Winston's character goes to a motel and chats up this bird, as he says. And uh, that bird is played by E.G. Daly, who was a singer and she's in a lot of films, but my favourite role of hers is as Dottie in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Ah. Wait, who is she in this? She's the girl who works at the motel. She's like the cleaner and Ray Winston comes in. And they and she's watched like, Corinne on TV yet. together. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, when Ray Winston's character is talking about it to Corin the next day, he says, I pulled this bird. <laughs> He's pulling birds left and fucking right. <laughs> He's so um, cute in this. He's so <laughs> cute. There was this like later years, um, I think like oral history kind of retrospective thing about Fabulous Stains in um, in Spin magazine in like 2008. And Fee Waybill, who plays um, the lead singer of, uh, is in real life in the band The Tubes, but played the lead singer of the Metal Corpses in this. He talks about Ray Winston and is like, he used to be this skinny heartthrob punk and now he's turned to, I want to get the quote right, um, and now he's turned into this great big fat heavy like in Sexy Beast and The Departed. Ray was on Diane the entire time. He was hitting on her so hard. Yeah, and it's like, you know, he was in his 20s and <laughs> she was really young. He was like it's- fully 10 years older than her. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of... There are a lot of issues to be had with this film if you uh, On screen go and a- off. <laughs> they <laughs> yeah. were mirrors of one another. Totally. And Diane Lane, in an interview, she said, I saw the dong a lot. <laughs> no. terrible, right? Diane. I know. I know. <laughs> and apparently um, there's a scene where you see, I think it's mostly the metal corpses are doing coke on screen, but they're really doing coke on screen. Whoa, really? Yeah, and that one of them never did cocaine. And so he was really surprised because someone had switched it. And then they had to keep reshooting the scene over and over to get it right. So they were just getting, like, fully wasted. And this is the scene that leads to the overdose in the film. (laughs) Yeah, it's not great, is it? It's It's not not the best. It's not great. It's not great. Um the it's it's interesting like this is my diane lane like i had never seen her in anything for such a long time aside from this film like this was my one touchstone for diane lane and i don't know what it would be like if you knew her from something else and then suddenly saw this well that was my experience yeah right i was like the mum from the best francis ford coppola film jack Starring Robin Williams <laughs> as a teenager. Both of them grew up too fast, but in different ways. Right. Okay. Yes. Well, <laughs> she's, um, she, I've just, Jack is really sending me Beale. I had not thought about that film in a while. It's a good film. Um, but I mean, you know. A great friend, Dresha and Jennifer Lopez vehicle. Okay. Or maybe I need to revisit this. I'm seeing the poster for it now. Mm-hmm. Um, He's big, but little. If you'd just seen, like, Under the Tuscan Sun, I think that this is quite a shock, would be quite a shock to you. But I also don't think that Diane Lane ever gave a better performance in her, like, she's incredible Mm -hmm. in this this role. And those three girls, so good. Like, Laura Dern doesn't get as much of a look in in this film. Like, it's very much about Diane Lane's character. But every time she appears, you're like, oh, my God, it's Laura Dern. She's it's wild. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. I can't believe she was so 12 years old. Yeah, when she started, yeah. What great taste. I know. And then, well, so this came out, this started shooting in 1980. It was released kind of in 1982. But just three years after that, she plays this 
incredible teen girl in Joyce Chopra's film Smooth Talk, which just got reissued by Criterion about a year ago, and it's on the Criterion channel. Um, it was based on a short story by Joyce Carol Oates. And I don't know if you've seen it, BL, but it's um, it's this great, like really incredible film about this like young girl's sexual awakening in a small town, essentially. It is just incredible. But the leap from Laura Dern in this film to that film is incredible. Like this, yeah. It's, it's like at the, the final scene of, of Fabulous Stains. I also love that the tour manager is, I can't remember the actor's name, but he's like this Rastafarian. Barry Ford. Yeah, he's so good in it and uh, that when he and he's the one who brings them on and he has famously, as we said, not seen the band play. (laughs) And when he first introduces them, he describes them as the fantastic stains. Yeah. (laughs) But he also gets one of the best lines in the film, which is everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Mm hmm. Yeah. He apparently composed the soundtrack, like the bulk of the soundtrack as well. Oh, wow. According to Wikipedia, he was in the reggae band Merger. Cool. Mm. Okay. Mm. I need to look into that. Can we talk about that final scene? Because it is a little disturbing. I see why Nancy Dowd sort of pulled her name in part from this, if she did, uh, if that story is true. We're talking about the music video? Yeah. This. So it ends mm. on this music video, um, this like – very early MTV looking music video uh, for, and they've taken the Luda song, The Professionals, and which they kind of stole on tour and then have m- now made it into their own mm. song. Um, Written in real life by the real life post Sex Pistols band, The Professionals, right? Like yeah, was, I think. Yeah, it like existed in like the world of this film. Ooh, it's, yeah, that's it's quite it's quite a weird quite a weird world. Yeah, um, there's so many similarities between them and like the Go Go's, and like I think that's mm. probably been written about a lot. But having seen that Go Go's documentary that came out a couple of years ago, you know that all the women in the Go Go's were like full punk figures. Like they were totally deep in the LA hardcore punk scene. And then had these like pop hits and the industry and like the music labels were trying very hard to get them to look like these like real poppy, poppy pretty girls. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in this, the Fabulous Stains have this like makeover for this TV, for this music video. And they're really kind of glossy and they've got lots of like kind of nice makeup on and their hair's all done. Yeah, they're like unrecognizable. Yeah, and it's like, to me, it's this really sad, sad ending of that's all there was, I guess. Mm-hmm. But you can also see why, like, Lou Adler, the director, who was, like, a record producer, would think of that as the goal or, like, the aspirational end point for these characters. Like, I I'm gonna. I don't think I'm going on out on a limb to think that, like, he probably didn't really understand these characters so much if that's the direction he took it in knowing what we know now, which is that um, Carolyn Coon and um, Nancy Dowd, their original ending for the film was about like, you know, the stains ending up in the UK because that was like where punk was happening obviously. And 
he he like ripped the pages out of the script and they they walked off the film you know there there were such disagreements on where these characters and this story would end up and what we got was like you know a very americanized mainstream kind of corporate idea of musical success where they it's almost like they're doing like a hard days night thing they're you know they've dressed them up as like you know the Andrews sisters and they're saluting mm. and they're playing these characters it's like in the spice girls movie you know when they're like they're doing like boot camp and they're like dressed in all these funny different girl group costumes yeah it is i haven't thought about the spice world in a while yeah me neither it just came to me like thinking of like that army kind of sequence yeah, of like yeah. join the professionals whereas the song as ray winston's character describes it to corinne is about rejecting the draft and like not wanting to be like you know wearing the boot of like you know uncle sam or whatever the equivalent is in england king charles (laughs) (laughs) um yeah that is so true bl it's one of the least aspirational endings to any film i have ever seen particularly about the music industry it's like deeply sad but makes sense and it like it fits with like the narrative of the time as well. I wish I'd gotten to see that original ending though. I would love to have seen these girls on tour with like x-ray specs hanging out with polystyrene. Can you imagine? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. But you know, that aside, it's like, it always, cause it's really building to something. And then when you see that, it's like a slap in the fucking face. Yeah, totally. It, it turns this into a, like a horror film. Yeah, it really does. It yeah. really does. Yeah. But God, it's so good. It's, it's so good. It's so I just want to watch it now. <laughs> I um, Also in that Spin article, there was this really great quote from Diane Lane where she's talking about like her experience of of performing on stage with fellow like non-professional actors and musicians and the idea that, like, you know, she as a person was kind of embarrassed at how technically bad they were at their instruments. And she said, she has this great quote where she says, at 15, you're just an egg out of its shell walking around trying desperately not to get maimed emotionally. I was just mortified that we were supposed to be as bad as we were as a band. That was my 15-year-old agenda. Do we really have to suck this bad? Couldn't we be on key at least? (laughs) I love that quote. (laughs) We do. Maimed emotionally. (laughs) So good. I've got a bunch of see also's for this, pretty much just because this film is just so very much in my wheelhouse that it's like everything in it leads to something else. You know, it's like the chart on the L word, but instead of Shane, (laughs) it's ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous Stains. The fabulous Shane. (laughs) Hey, Generation Q idea for free. Um, I really recommend watching the documentary, like very short documentary that came out in the late 90s or early early noughts um, by Sarah Jacobson, who was an absolutely incredible filmmaker. She really changed my teenage life when I saw her film I Was a Teenage Serial Killer when I was about 15. And she also made the amazing Mary Jane's Not a Virgin Anymore 
incredible, incredible artist. Anyway, she was deeply obsessed with the fabulous stains and was very much a large part of bringing it back into the culture and having it sort of rewatched and reseen and re released. Together with her friend and collaborator Sam Green, they made this really great uh, behind the scenes look. It goes for about 12 minutes. The whole thing is on YouTube and it kind of interrogates a lot of ideas from the film, but features fabulous interviews with a lot of the cast and also Nancy Dowd, which is pretty incredible. Oh, I can't wait to watch that. And uh, I've got like a funny, like a connecting the dots here. Sam Green, who co-made that, he made a great documentary, one of my favourite documentaries, The Weather Underground, about the SDS group who became known for actually blowing up buildings in the name of uh, being anti-Vietnam and anti-war. And Christine Larty, who plays the mother of Laura Dern in this film, she stars in one of my all-time favourite films, Running on Empty by Sidney Lumet with... Uh, River Phoenix, and she's the mom in it, and she plays one of the members of the Weather Underground who are on the run. Mm. There you go. Tied that up in a neat little bow. Oh, my God, I'm obsessed. I have so <laughs> much. I mean, we discussed this last week at your house, but I have so much River Phoenix I need to hone up on. Maybe yeah, there could be an ongoing segment that you just tell me what River Phoenix stuff to watch. I that is something I can hundred percent dream scenario. Um, I yeah. mentioned before that NPR um, it's an audio interview. It's like five minutes long. It's just this little piece on like the influence of fabulous stains on Riot Girls, reported by um, Alison McNabe, and it includes like Caroline Coon, um, Alison Wall from Bratmobile, and Diane Lane. Um, but the funny part is <laughs> to tie everything back to our podcast is that like the peg for this was not an anniversary of the film. It was <laughs> tied to the release of Alex Ross Perry's Her Smell. <laughs> oh my God, you did it. You did it, Bill. <laughs> always, always. Haven't seen the movie. Don't really need really to, I don't movie. think. You do. It's good. It's really good. They were good. like, speaking of punk musicians, I guess. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. Remember the movie Green Room? Also about no. punk musicians and, like, guys in boots, a.k.a. neo-Nazis. Anyway, that was good. Do you remember but- SLC Punk starring your boyfriend, Matthew Lillard? My boyfriend, Matthew Lillard. I've actually never seen SLC Punk. Oh, it's worth a watch. Is it it's set in good. Salt Lake City? Yes, it sure is. Oh my gosh! It's a companion well, piece to, to Real Housewives, where my housewives live. You can see why Heather and Whitney are the way they are. <laughs> they should have joined the punk, you know, movement. We kind of um, talked about. Um, we joked about this via text that uh, our C also's for Diane Lane would be under the Tuscan Sun, and as I said before, the movie Jack. Um, but I also have like a an a, a off tangent. Laura Dern see also which is just that I have like a an oil portrait of Laura Dern hanging on the wall of my dining room and it was painted by uh the artist Greta Balog so I'm going to put a link to her work in the show notes because she does these incredibly deranged beautiful celebrity portraits oh yeah it's a really good portrait I love to look at it when I come over I bought it after seeing it on display in the toilets at the pub Milneys. Really? Yeah, they have like a in their big like disabled 
bathroom. Yeah. It's an art gallery. I'm going to, I have plans to go there this afternoon, BL. So, you know, I'll just see what's See what, what shows are on in the toot. <laughs> Uh, well, my Laura Dern, she also was, I mean, her whole entire life, but uh, is smooth talk. If you can see that, please do. But in a more general sense of Fabulous Danes, if you really love this film or it's sounding like up your alley, the companion piece for me is Times Square. It's probably the only other film I've seen as, as many times. And it's also about these, like the ferociousness of the like feral teen girls gone wild you know it's such Mm. a great film it came out in 1980 directed by Alan Moyle um, and it stars Robin Johnson and Trini Alvarado uh, along with many other people like uh, Tim Curry but it's also about two girls who meet up their runaways and uh, they start a band, they take over a radio station and they inspire a lot of girls to come out and do like very DIY fashion looks with garbage bags. I can say no more, but fuck, it's oh my good. God, wow. Well, I I really need to watch Times Square to fully understand you, Jinxie. <laughs> I think you do. <laughs> These would be a great double feature, right? Yeah, actually, there were the Have two you films. Have done that before? Well, when I first started programming Golden Age Cinema in Sydney in like 2013, I think was when we opened, uh, they were the first two films that I looked into getting the rights for. And they were really, really (laughs) difficult, as you can imagine, at Mm. the time. And then I spotted how to get them. It was like my first kind of breakthrough uh, programming moment as a like young little programmer and um, yeah, I've, I've played them multiple times now um, at golden age and it's always such a fun crowd. They're like two films that are just like, I've watched them so much by myself, but there's nothing like seeing them with a bunch of other people. We should organize mm. that. Yeah, totally. That just gave me a flashback to when you asked me to program a night at golden age and I chose rock and roll high school and I hadn't seen it in many, many years. And it's so good. It's such a fucked up movie. Yeah, it's really fucked up. <laughs> and it's kind of, it's not too dissimilar to this kind of genre, but it is a very different movie when you're watching, um, as in Rock and Roll High School, a female fan of like male musicians. It's so much cooler to see like girls on stage and in the audience. Well, thanks for listening to another episode, another Toy Poodle episode of See Also. If you like what you hear, and we hope you do, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review, uh, some five stars, chuck us some five stars. It's really helpful for us to reach new people, new listeners, and we also just really love to read what you have to say. And uh, please get in touch with us also on Instagram at See Also Podcast. Yeah, please share the podcast with your friends, your favorite little punks. Thanks, as always, to Samuel Hodge for our beautiful artwork and Harvey Sutherland for our original theme music. We'll see you next time. See ya. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.